Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 16. Imagine that, we have even more, more proof of his love, and I bet next week we're going to even have even more proof of his love, as if we ever had to doubt the things of Scripture, they are made clear to us, his love for us, and the ultimate gift to us is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who left the right hand of the Father, not counting equality with God, something to be grasped, but came and took on the form of man, that he should give his life for us and die even on a cross. Because of his obedience and his love for the Father, his name is exalted above every other name. And it is this demonstration of love that is instilled in the believer and fixed in our hearts. There are manifestations of this type of love, and one of those manifestations we're going to look at today is joy, and how the sense of joy in our lives is proof of the love of our Heavenly Father that comes to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're able today, would you stand with us as I read the Word of God? John chapter 16 and following. Heavenly Father, come upon us today that our eyes might be open to the things of your word. Most importantly, to the love that you have for us, that we might see this in your Son, Jesus the Christ, and we might manifest this in the joy that the believer has that the world simply does not understand. Lord, give us the wisdom and insight we need, and that we might understand this today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. A little while, and you will no longer behold me, and again in a little while, and you will see me. Now some of his disciples therefore said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not behold me, and again in a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. And so they were saying, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's talking about. Well, Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not behold me, and again in a little while and you will see me? Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. It's talking about childbirth. Because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Till now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be made full. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. And just to jump to the end, we have looked previously about prayer and asking things for the Father, and, and uh, it sounds pretty inviting to ask anything in his name and you will receive it, um, but we know that that's not true. If I stand up on the roof and I ask that the Lord would enable me to fly and I jump off, am I actually going to receive the gift of flight? Well, from there to there, I would, okay. Um, But we have to understand that there are caveats to that, asking in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, asking according to the Father's will, asking that uh, that that thing would be to his glory. All of those things fill into that and, and fall into that. 
But today, we're going to go back to the beginning and look in, in, in what he talks about here. You'll see me a little bit, then you won't see me, and particularly about verse 22. No one takes your joy away from you. Now, I've done, uh, I don't know, a lot of weddings. Okay, Weddings are almost always great times. Okay, There was only one wedding that I ever had to speak harshly to somebody. That was back in, in Wilmington and... And uh, I don't want to pick on mothers, but one of the mothers just, she just was not happy about what was going on. And I had to make it clear that, that, you know, according to the law of North Carolina, the bride and the groom and I have to be there. That's all. The rest of you don't have to be there. Well, that was, that was she got the message about that one. Okay. Uh, but I've done some, some weddings that you just, you just love. And most weddings are just great times. And there was one in particular that, that stands out. And and it was this couple that, from, from Wilmington, and, and they were a great couple, and they got involved as, as teenagers. And then the first year at, at college, they, they wandered off into sin, and, and she became pregnant, and they, and they separated. And then over the course of time, they fell in love again, okay? And I did their wedding, and it was, it was just a great wedding. You know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl, Okay, and I just heard at Christmas they're they're on their fourth child, and then just you know happy as pigs in slop. Okay, so you know that that's a great that's a great thing that 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 wedding, but you know that's a classic. That's a classic. You find your joy, you lose your joy, you find your joy again, and we see that. And you know how much I like to do theology by cinema. Uh, we see this in things like. Movies like While You Were Sleeping, remember, Boy Gets Girl, Boy Loses Girl, Boy Gets Girl, Notting Hill, Funny Face, some of these are older, only some of you will remember Fred Astaire, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Bringing Up Baby, uh, none of you, some, some of you, uh, you know, Bringing Up Baby, uh, Cary Grant and uh, Catherine Hepburn, yeah, thank you very much, uh, His Girl Friday, another Cary Grant movie, I, I, I often think of myself as Cary Grant. Nobody else does. I'm shocked at that. Mm-hmm. But all of these things deal with finding love, losing love, and finding love again. Okay? It's like a roller coaster. And this has been a, a staple of the arts, of cinema, of writing, of the theater. I mean, just back to, into the Greeks, it, it has been around. And, and it's a good story, and that's why it works. They keep playing it again and again and again. Because in the end, how do you feel? Well, you feel good in the end, okay, because you've gotten what you're after or everybody's happy. Now, we all have moments when we think we have found what we're after and maybe we have lost what we think we found and then we get it again. Whether it be a job or whether it be a, uh, um, uh, a girl or a guy or whether it be a car or the perfect gift or whatever it may be, those things happen in our lives. And we see that. We kind of all know how we feel when, when it comes out at the end. Now imagine yourself as a first century fisherman. Your life is about subsistence. This is all that you do. Okay? You get up in the morning and you work your nets and, and, and after you've had a little nap because you've been out fishing all night, this is what you have done since you were a child. This is what your dad did. This is all that you know. You live down by the water. Your hands are rough and calloused and you're used to the water and the sea and the storms don't, uh, don't make you afraid anymore. And along comes a man and he says, follow me. And you drop everything that you've done all of your life right there on the shore and go. And you follow this guy. You drop everything that you know because his call cannot be resisted. 
When the call of Jesus Christ comes upon you and he says, Randy, I want you to follow me, you really don't have a choice because that call is so powerful. The Spirit's move within you is so powerful, you cannot resist it. You cannot say, well, no, Lord, I got a better offer over here. I'm going to go this way. No, when he says your name and says, follow me, believe today, you will believe and you will follow him. It is irresistible because he is the sovereign creator. Back to the first century, you spend three years of your life following this guy around. Three years of your life in, in the classic teaching mode. You eat with him. You, you follow him around all day. You listen to what he says. You see him interact with people. You've been a part of his ministry. I mean, you help distribute the bread. Remember that one basket with just the, the loaves and the fishes? And out it came, and out it came, and out it came. And over 5,000 were fed on that one day. You have seen him work these mighty works And now he says to you some very hard things in in these chapters that that have preceded. He's talking about days of sorrow that are coming and days of scattering that are coming. And you're trying to come to grips with this. I've I've left everything that I've ever known to come and follow you. And you're telling me this this is all going to come to an end? He says, in a little while you're not going to see me. What do you mean I'm not going to see you? Are you going to run off? Are you going to die on us? They don't grasp it. Even though he has mentioned it before, they just don't grasp it yet. I mean, you're a fisherman. Probably late at night, you're out on the boat, and maybe you've talked about, um, oh, who knows, stories or things from your childhood. You've never really gone into philosophy and the ontological uh, existentialist uh, hyper whatever of the world. You just don't into that. You're about fishing and having enough so that you can eat the next day. And along comes Jesus and tells you that there's something far beyond us, something that that your Jewish teaching has, has pointed to all of your life. And for generations, they have been waiting for the Messiah to come. And that's Jesus. And they just they just not thought that way. They've just not come to grips with this yet. But Jesus lets them know ahead of time that there will be sorrow and there will be joy. And nothing can take the joy that will come upon them. Nothing can take it. It's a classic tale. Men find a savior. Men lose a savior. Men find a savior. Except this time he's the resurrected savior. The greatest word, perhaps, that anyone could hear when they're in the midst of suffering or sorrow is the promise that that will only be temporary. Okay? You know, my girls don't let me pull out splinters anymore, okay? Because I like to, to do it with, you know, sharp things and then put alcohol, rubbing alcohol on it. And I say, it'll only hurt a little bit, but they don't, they don't want even that pain for a little bit, okay? There'll be joy afterwards when the splinter is gone. Oh, they don't care about that. It hurts too much. Well, there is the promise of the joy after the sorrow. And since chapter 13, Jesus has been dealing with these coming issues of sorrow. And he has made these great promises. The Holy Spirit will come. You'll do greater things than I have done. You can ask anything in my name and I'll do it. I'll give you the power uh, to be victorious. And the world will hate you, but yet take that as a great sign because that means you are Mine and you belong to me, but they're not really comforted. So Jesus moves into these verses here to give them the greatest comfort possible that your sorrow will only be for a short time and then it will be joy and it is a joy that no one can take away from you. He said, I'm going to go away and it's going to be better for you. 
because I'm going to send somebody who will, in a sense, complete all that I have begun to taught you and will give you the understanding. Remember, when Jesus left, and we've covered this before, he had about 500 followers. After the first sermon of Peter, there were 3,000 who believed that day. What was the difference? Who had come between the ascension of Jesus and Peter's first sermon? Is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now filled Peter. And when he spoke, he spoke not with the authority of man, but with the authority of God. 3,000 came to believe that day. So the Holy Spirit comes. He activates all these promises in you that I have, I have made. And he says to them, do you know what kind of joy that it's going to be for me when I go away from you? Okay. Remember, Jesus is going where? He's going to his Father. What greater joy could there be than to be with the Heavenly Father? We talked in Sunday school a little bit about beauty, and, and we, we read some from Revelation, and we, we think, what will heaven be like? Well, to some extent, it doesn't matter beyond the phrase, we will be with God. We will be there in his presence. What else could we want out of life? What else could we want for all eternity but then to be in the presence of the one who knows us, the one who has created us, the one who shapes all of the universe? Now, in our finite minds, we think, well, yeah, after the first ten minutes, that might be kind of boring. What else are we going to do? But once we stand there with sin removed from us, stand in the total forgiveness of Christ and in the presence of our Heavenly Father— really won't matter beyond that. Now, let's look at our passage in particular, 16 through 24, and to see Jesus speaks to his disciples that he is parting only temporarily, but their joy will be real and their joy will be lasting. It says, verse 22, no one takes your joy away from you. I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice. Now, what Jesus is saying, he's talking about the coming, his coming death and his coming resurrection. Remember, this is the night before all this happens. Okay, if you go back, they've had the, Latin, the Lord's Supper. They've had that. Judas is gone. He's gone off to, to set the things up so that Jesus might be betrayed. He says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to give my life. We're looking back. We understand how this works. He's going to give his life, be in the grave for three days, and he will come out. And their eyes will be open to the resurrected Christ. He says, then your joy will be complete. And no one can take this joy from you. Now, how can such a claim stand when the biggest things in our world are utterly temporary? The things that we so often place our our hope for joy in can easily be taken away from us, can easily be destroyed. Nothing in this world can guarantee a joy. Only something from outside this world can guarantee a joy that will never be taken from us. Think of the joys in your life, okay, whether it be your spouse or your children or your, your job or whatever it may be. Are these, these joys, they can be taken away from you. We've seen in northern Alabama, just the, the destructive power of a tornado can come in an instant and things can be gone. Things can be gone. Jesus knows that they're puzzled. Look at verse 20. Well, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Now, he's referring, as we know, to his death and to his resurrection and the apparent loss. Remember, these are men who left everything, placed all their hope in this guy, all his hope in their teachings. They love him. They love what he has to say. And all of a sudden, he is gone. And they're thinking, has all of our efforts, have all of our efforts fallen? Has everything come that we hoped? Has it all passed away now? And they're really concerned about what is going on. So Jesus, 
equates it with childbirth. He equates it here with childbirth. Look at verse 21. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, being a man, I really don't grasp all the intricacies here of childbirth. I know there's pain. I know that there's, there's anguish. I know that there's suffering. Some women have very long labors. A friend whose who's, uh, wife's in labor for, I mean, pretty good labor for 36 hours. Um, blessing or my wife's labors have all been, been brief. But there is a sorrow there. And, and the, the view is that the pain comes now, but there is joy later. There is joy when you hold that child, when you think, you know, all of this, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, this is a terribleness, a terribleness, and then the doctor places that child in your hands, and, and you know, you go all goobery and, and you melt away, okay, because of this beautiful child that, the, that you've just uh, given birth to or just have been placed in your hands. So the theme of the birth pangs of what is coming is a common theme to them. It's common in the Old Testament, and it is common, as we see throughout the New Testament as well. And it deals with God saving his people. Isaiah 66 is a great example of that. The pain will be intense, but the pain will be limited. And then there is joy. J.R.R. Tolkien said, he, he, he kind of labeled this as a eucatastrophe. A eucatastrophe. The sudden joyous turn in the midst of catastrophe, which is the heart of the gospel story. Sudden joyous turn, joyous turn in the midst of catastrophe, which is the heart of the gospel story. Okay? We think it's all coming to an end. The fishermen who have left everything, put all their hopes on Jesus, think it's coming to an end. And what happens? The grave is empty. And there he is. He walks in the room. Did you open the door? I didn't open the door. How did he get in? He's the risen Lord. Nothing can keep him out. Look at the days of sorrow and pain and then in, in birth, and then there is joy. There will be weeping, there will be fear, there will be lamenting in the disciples, but they'd all put their hope on the guy who was going to hang on the cross. Turn back to John chapter 12 with me for a second. He says, you, I'm going away, but then in a little while you will see me again. John chapter 12, verse 24. He equates it also with this kind of image. We have the image of birth and the pain and then the joy. And then we have verse 24 of chapter 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You're not going to get the Holy Spirit until I'm gone. You're not going to get the joy until I'm I'm dead and it appears like your world is done. Then you will get the joy and that joy no one can take from you. No one can ever take it from you. Your hearts will rejoice. And that is just what will happen there. Remember the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. They went to the tomb. It's empty. How did that happen? Didn't he say something about that? Didn't he tell them? Like, just like Jonah, who's in three days in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days in the earth. He told them about this, told them what was going to happen. And sure enough, his prediction came through. Back to chapter 16. Verse 22, therefore you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice. And no one can take that from you. No one can take it from you. So the question is, how can Jesus make this basically unparalleled guarantee? Unlike anything else in the world, there are two two issues here at hand that we'll look at very briefly. Number one, how can he say no one will take the joy? Because your joy comes from him. 
Our joy comes from being with Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus will never die again. 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, he's overcome death. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's the cross that has wiped all that out. It's the perfect sacrifice of Christ that has taken that away. Okay, and the bodies of believers will be raised how? Imperishable. Fit for all eternity in the presence of our Heavenly Father. He says, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. Your hearts will rejoice. If the thought of that, that you will see Jesus again, does not quicken your heart, does not give you this sense of joy in your life, then this is not a promise to you. This is an invitation to you. Okay? That, that perhaps you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because it, it, you think, well, I'll see him again. Well, that's cool. No, no. You will see him again. He will come not as the Savior then. He will come as the judge. So if you do not understand him as the Savior today, then this is an invitation to you. It is a promise to those who are in Christ already who will come and collect us and take us to be where he is. For those who do not believe it is an invitation, today is the day of salvation. Believe today upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be saved. Everything else is temporary. Your dog, your spouse, your house, your car, your cool stuff, it's all temporary. Only the joy that comes from the risen Lord, because he is eternal, only that joy is what no one can take from you. I remember growing up, and and in our local paper, they would put these cartoons. And, you know, there were kind of the round, uh, pudgy figures, and it would always be a a guy, a, a little female pudgy figure and a male pudgy figure, and they're holding hands, and they would say, love is. And, and then you would be able to fill it in or it would change during the week. Or happiness is. Or, or you know, those are all temporary things. Okay? Happiness is, you know, the puppy. Happiness is your family. Happiness is this or that. Joy comes from Christ. Joy underlies everything the believer does. It is, a, it is something that can never be taken from us or Current circumstances might take us up and down and up and down and up and down. But there is always a joy that comes from Christ that underlies all that we do because he is eternal and he gives us a joy that is eternal. Will it last forever? He defeated death. So literally our joy can never be defeated because it comes from Christ. So number one, our joy comes from being with Jesus because he defeated death and he will never die. So neither will our joy. Number two, no one will take your joy from you because your joy comes from being with Jesus and because Jesus rose from the dead, that guarantees that believers will also rise. So our Savior is eternal, therefore our joy is eternal. And to experience eternal joy, joy that can never be taken, we must as well be eternal. So Christ gives us life everlasting. Okay? Everlasting joy, everlasting life. These go right together, hand in hand. The source of our joy lasts forever, and so do we. We understand our joy today in a fashion that is clouded by sin. Because sin touches everything. Everything around us touches nature, touches our very lives, touches our relationships. It clouds us from understanding what complete joy is like. We get some taste of it now but we will understand it totally when we stand before our Savior. 
Many people view the world today from uh, the passage in Ecclesiastes, eat, drink, and be merry. And then uh, I forget who it was, maybe the, the Stoics or somebody added something on to it. Eat, drink, and marry for tomorrow we die. See, if, if all you do is focus upon what brings you happiness here in this world, because tomorrow you're going to be somewhere else, then you will never understand joy. You will never understand what you seek the most because it will always fall right through your fingers. You think of the person, man, they lived a short life, but, but they lived it to the full, didn't they? We think of, uh, gosh, growing up, we think of all those rock stars that, that lived it on the fast lane and died fast, okay, died early. You think of people who, yeah, wow, they had this great life, but it was all oh, cut so short. They didn't understand joy. They sought for happiness in this world. They sought for what this world could provide for them. And no matter how full their lives were, they were not joyous. They didn't have Christ. Remember that Jesus will never die. Let's turn back to chapter 14 of John. And the promise here in chapter 14, verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and after a little while the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. It's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Jesus says, I'm going to go away, and the world will rejoice. Weren't they excited when they crucified Jesus? They were ecstatic that that they finally got rid of this troublemaker, and the believers were sorrowful. And then the tomb was empty, and it wasn't so exciting for the Romans, was it? wasn't so exciting for the Pharisees because they had crucified the Son of God. Jesus said to Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Mixture of what he said there and with John, of course, uh, John 3. And then we turn to Romans. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you tonight. Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from this love. Nothing can separate us from the joy that's available to us in Jesus Christ. Death did not overcome him. He overcame death. We belong to him. No created thing can separate us from his love. Who has created everything? Our Heavenly Father. Nothing in this world can take the love of Christ from us. My friends, if you have understood this promise today, then your salvation, your life is sealed in him. Nothing can disrupt the joy that you have experienced in Jesus Christ. Your happiness will come and go. But that joy is an eternal promise. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today reminded of this great promise that for those who are in Christ, there is a joy that we have that can never be taken from us. Lord, I I would think that almost everyone here today knows sorrow, has been face to face with things that they thought would crush them, would rip their lives apart, 
Perhaps it has been disease or sorrow or some form of suffering or trial. But yet even those things cannot take the joy that comes in Jesus Christ. It is something that the world does not understand. For they do not understand joy in this fashion. They do not understand something that girds us in all of life, that, that, that builds a foundation for us, this rock of Jesus Christ. Not only is salvation secure, not only is our eternal destination secure, but our joy is secure. Our, our access to the grace and mercy is secure. All of these things come to us in Jesus Christ. This is proof of the love that you have for us. Proof that you don't desert us. Proof that you are always here with us. And you have given us new life and you call us to a new way of living. Lord, a way that should be demonstrations of joy. The joy of Jesus Christ. Come and rest upon us today, Lord. That we would understand that. That our lives would be demonstrations of the love and joy of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Am I a soldier of the cross? Am I a follower of the Lamb? Let's stand and sing 411, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? <laughs> 